Well, it's a joy to be back and to see you uh, once again. Certainly one of my favorite places to visit. As Stephen has already indicated, um, as of the end of January, uh, I became officially retired from pastoral duties. And that means that as I entered into this year, into the month of January, I was facing a decision that I had never faced before. What would I preach in my last four sermons as pastor? Now, perhaps I should have been prepared for that since I knew it was coming, but I wasn't. And so I had this dilemma, having preached to these people for almost 50 years, what would be my last four sermons? Should I preach doctrine that I think is most important for the church? Or should I preach prophecies that God's people need to have very much in the front of their minds? Or should I preach exhortations? Exhortations to godliness and to spiritual growth and vitality. What should it be? Well, I decided on exhortations. According to dictionary.com, An exhortation is an utterance, a discourse, an address conveying urgent advice or recommendation. So I decided I had four Sundays, I would preach four distinct exhortations. (laughs) But as, as so often proven to be the case, In my ministry, the first exhortation became a series of sermons. (laughs) And I never got to the second, third, or fourth. (laughs) But I didn't totally regret that because I had decided that the first exhortation was, in fact, the most important. And that exhortation is this, and I give it to you as I would offer it to God's people everywhere. Keep increasing in your love for God and in your love for Jesus Christ in particular. Of all the charges that I might give to God's people, I consider this to be the most important. Now, I could have said, be very diligent in observing the means of grace. Read your Bible every day. Pray many times every day. Be faithful to the corporate meetings of the church. But those kind of directives have to do with using the means of grace. And hopefully the means of grace will result in a greater degree of piety 
spirituality. But what does piety look like? That's ultimately where we're trying to go. We want to be more pious, more godly, more holy. What is that? Well, at the essence, it's love for God. It's a real, a burning, a growing love for God. So that was the exhortation that ended up filling out my tenure as a pastor. Keep increasing in love for God and in love for Jesus Christ in particular. Now that, I realize that sounds like an unnecessary distinction because, of course, Jesus is God. But God exists as three eternal persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it was the Son who became man, who embraced the humiliation of becoming one of his own creatures. And it was Jesus, the Son of God, who as man underwent the sufferings and death of the cross in our behalf. He took the wrath of God in our behalf. The Father didn't do that. The Holy Spirit didn't do that. It was God the Son. And it was God the Son who was raised again from the dead for our justification. And it was Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens and is located at the Father's right hand, ever living to make intercession for us. It was the Son of God, Jesus, who was our Redeemer, our peace with God, our righteousness, our life. And so it is crucial that we love God. But Jesus Christ in particular. Because he is our salvation. Now what I want to do for the remainder of this hour. Is to explain why I believe this is the most important exhortation that I could give you. Why? Well, it would be sufficient just to take you to a few texts. I'm going to ask you to turn to these texts. They're familiar to you. The first is Matthew 22, 36 through 38. Man came to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. When we talk to people about their sinnerhood, we would be wise not to go first to the Ten Commandments. And we know that Every human being alive has broken the Ten Commandments. But the first and great commandment 
is to love God more than you love anything else. And it's at that point that every person's ungodliness becomes most evident. What's the most important moral duty of man? Love God. With all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Now go back in Matthew to chapter 10, verse 37. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I think we have perhaps decided that that doesn't mean what it seems to mean. Over the recent past, I have seen again and again and again parents who have put their kids ahead of Christ, members of the church of Jesus Christ, but their kids perhaps embrace an alternate lifestyle. And rather than taking the side of Christ against their children, not ceasing to love them, not being hateful or angry, but just confronting them, this alternate lifestyle is an abomination to God. I love you, but I cannot agree with what you're doing. I've seen parent after parent, church officers in some cases, side with their children over Christ. This is a serious statement by Christ. If you love your father, your mother, your wife, your children, or even yourself more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Now, he, he didn't really mean that, right? Now, I think we will discover on the last day that he was very serious. There's another text in this regard, perhaps not quite as well known. It's even blunter than this passage. It's found in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Where the Apostle Paul, bringing this epistle to an end, says... If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. There's no ambiguity in that statement. If you don't love Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. Well, these verses are enough to answer the question, why? It's a man's highest moral duty. It's the supreme evidence that we are Christ's followers. If we don't love Christ, we perish. That's reason enough. But I would like to give you some other reasons because I want to do everything I can do to help this stick in your conscience. So I want to give you, if time permits, three additional 
reasons that you ought to be working at loving Christ more. First, your relationship with Christ is the most vital, the most indispensable relationship that you have or ever will have. Most vital, most essential to your life, to your well-being. Do you cherish your relationship with Jesus Christ? When did you last go to him and say, I need you, Lord, I need you. I can't live without you. I can do without a lot of things. Things that I think are very important, but I can, I can make do without them. I can't live without you. I need you. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. 1 Peter chapter 1. When we think of great New Testament text, beyond the Gospels and the Epistles, perhaps we're most inclined to think of texts that the Apostle Paul wrote. And Paul wrote some profoundly deep and full text. But I'm not sure there is a text in the New Testament that's any more profound than 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That is, to a certain confidence about the future. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has begotten us again to a confident expectation of an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, that is reserved in heaven for you. That is, for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, For salvation in the end. Salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this this hope, in this confident expectation, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But there's a purpose. And that purpose is that the genuineness of your faith, the fact that you hold tightly to Christ in your suffering, through your suffering, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, believing in him, 
you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Wow. What a text that is. It magnifies the power of a God-given faith. Faith that is created in the soul by the Holy Spirit is so great and strong that you are enabled, though you don't see Jesus, you've never seen him with your physical eyes, yet your faith enables you to see him in your soul. And he becomes so real to you that you love him, though you've never seen him, and you are able to rejoice in him with a joy that is beyond expression. Is that your experience? That you have a faith that is such that it makes Jesus real to you. I want to ask you a very elementary question. What saves the soul? What actually saves us? Is it the cross event? Is that what saves us? Jesus dying on the cross? Or is it the resurrection event? The crucified, dead Savior being raised out of death victorious. Is that what saves us? Or is it our faith that saves us? What actually saves the soul? Well, to be sure, you must have faith. And you must believe that Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners and satisfied the justice of God. You must believe that. You must believe that he was literally, physically resurrected from the dead. You must believe that. But those things in and of themselves are not what saves you. And the ultimate resting place of your faith must go beyond the cross and beyond the empty tomb. It's Jesus who saves us. You see, the cross event, the resurrection event, those events qualified him to be our Savior. He wasn't qualified, now I know this can sound heretical, but he wasn't qualified just because he was God. There was a justice, a divine justice that had been offended. There were commands that had been broken, guilt that had come upon people. That guilt had to be removed. He had to die on the cross to be qualified. But he couldn't stay dead. If you remain dead, then death won. He had to be raised from the dead. But having died and having been resurrected, he became qualified 
to save us. But he is the one who saves us. Your faith must be in the living Christ. You must call upon Christ. You must go to Christ. You must become joined to Christ. Our salvation is very much a matter of relationship. It's not just the theology, a system of doctrine that you have to believe. You have to be joined to a person, a real person. A person who becomes real to us through a God-given faith. And that person must be our resting place. He must be our hope. And he must be the supreme object of our love. Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? What do you do with a relationship? What do you do with it? You enjoy it, right? I mean, what kind of a marriage is it where the husband doesn't enjoy his wife, or the wife doesn't enjoy her husband. Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you have such a relationship with him? A relationship that's not defined primarily by duty. It's defined primarily by love, intimacy. If you do have a relationship with Christ, are you prepared to say that you love him as much as you should? That you're very content with how much you love Jesus? Or would you say, oh, I would to God that I loved him more? Well, you see, that's the exhortation. Whatever else you do, In your life as a Christian, you need to be loving Jesus more. Because your relationship with him is the most important relationship you can ever have. Second reason. Your relationship with Christ is the most enduring relationship that you have. 1 Thessalonians 4 16 and 17. If we don't read this text at any other time, we do when somebody dies. It's kind of sad. You know, certain texts get read at funerals. Well, it's good to read them at funerals. Be good if we read them at other times. First Thessalonians 4 16. For the Lord Himself. Now that's significant. For the Lord himself will descend. Not going to send angels in his place. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, voice of an archangel, trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Do you believe that? 
That's just pretty fantastic stuff right there. Do you believe that? But notice this last statement. Thus, we shall always be, where? With the Lord. Doesn't say we will always be in heaven. We will be. But to Paul's mind, that's not the great thing that's awaiting us in eternity. We will be with the Lord. In Revelation 21, we read, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God, is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And he's going to wipe every tear away. There will be no more death, sorrow. We're crying. The great thing about heaven is that we will be with the Lord. We will revel in the presence of his glory. You think of the glory of God, what do you think about? One of the things I think about is brilliant light. We won't need a sun, won't need stars. It will be the glory of God that will lighten the whole earth. And we will live in his presence. That's our destiny. Now, the older I get, the more I think about people I love, who love Jesus, who've already gone ahead. And I do think about that more than I used to. Think about my mom and dad. I think about friends. I think about people I pastored. Recently I was talking with some friends and we were reminiscing about some of the saints that have gone ahead of us. God's given me the privilege to pastor some of the greatest of God's saints. I'm convinced of that. Some of them were pretty strange, but they were, they were godly. And I look forward to seeing them. I don't think they'll be as strange in heaven as I thought they were in earth, but I look forward to that. But you know, uh, my relationship with them will be different. It won't be the relationship of friendship or pastor and church member. It will be a relationship defined by our mutual relationship to Jesus. We will be redeemed sinners. Beloved of the Lord. Bought by the blood of the Lamb. And I've got a feeling that some of those people that I pastored will be ahead of me, closer to the throne than I will be. That's okay. That's okay. The great thing will be Jesus. And it will be our relationship to him. 
It's the most enduring relationship we have, so it ought to be the one that we work at the hardest. Last reason, time's almost gone. This is, in some ways, the best reason. I won't be able to fill it out, but think about it. Our relationship with Jesus is the most satisfying relationship that we can possibly have. It's the most satisfying. I suspect you're familiar with Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Oh. So if I delight in Jesus, I can get a new car. (laughs) Now you miss the point. If you delight in Jesus, he will be your greatest desire. If you delight in Jesus above everything, what you will desire more than anything will be to be closer to him. And that's what he promises. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he shall bring it to pass. We tend to make idols out of relationships. Unfairly, we expect our relationships with people to meet our deepest needs. We're single. We see our friends getting married. And we think if I could just be married. I wouldn't want for anything. So you get married. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But after a while it realized. You realize it didn't meet all my needs. So you think if I could just have a child, if, if, if I could parent a child, that would satisfy my deepest needs. And so God gives you a child, two children, three, four. And it's wonderful. Having children is wonderful. But they break your heart sometimes. And even if they never break your heart, they leave you eventually. And you're right back where you were. (laughs) You see, those relationships, they're precious. They're gifts from God. But they don't meet your deepest need. As someone has said, there is a God-shaped hole in every human soul. And none but God can fill that hole. Wife, husband can't do it. Children can't do it. Friendship can't do it. Only God can do it. And he does do it through Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds like a lot of pious nonsense. (laughs) 
How does God that I cannot see fill the void in my soul? How does that actually happen? It happens. It really does happen. But it happens in a way we don't expect. God satisfies. Christ satisfies us. To the extent that we become absolutely enthralled with him. And we become fixated on sharing his praise with the world. I like college sports. Uh, perhaps in the past I've liked it too much. I like winning. <laughs> I'm a Wake Forest fan. We don't win much. <laughs> I envy Virginia fans. National Championship basketball. Wow. That's pretty good. So you want a bowl game too, right? I think. What's so good about winning? What's so enjoyable about winning? Well, we enter vicariously into the triumph of our favorite team. And we, we see them overjoyed and celebrating. And because they're our favorite team, we know about them. Sometimes we even feel like we know them. And we know how hard they have worked. And perhaps we know when they have failed. And now they have succeeded. And we enter into that. We feel that. But another part of the joy, we have to be careful about this, right? Is bragging about our team. Going to a Virginia Tech fan and saying, when did you last win? National Championship. See, my favorite team just beat Duke in basketball. And we have had a miserable 10-year run in basketball. And everybody is crying for the head of the coach. But we beat Duke, number seven in the nation. And the fans fill the court and they roll the quad, which means they threw toilet tissue all over the trees. <laughs> and I entered into that a little bit because I know the team. Beloved, that is trivial. The victory of Jesus is everlasting. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the king of all kings. He has conquered death. He has brought new life into the world. He has redeemed my soul. He has guaranteed heaven to me. And that's where he is. And that's where he's taken me. He satisfies us when we 
becomes so consumed with what he has accomplished that we enter in to what he has done because he did it for us. And we brag about it. We think of witnessing very often is um, trying to convince people to hear what they don't want to hear and do what they don't want to do. But that's really not it. The essence of witnessing is to brag about Jesus. Whether they believe it or not, it's true. Our best friend is the king of all kings. And someday every knee is going to bow before him. And every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. And there will be no argument. We ought to be excited about that. The more excited we are about who he is, what he has done, and what he is coming to do, the more satisfied we will be. Recently, there was a man who had attended our church and had to move on account of a job. And he came back in our area, a young man, really, he was late 40s, early 50s, and he began having lots of physical problems. And he self-diagnosed the way we men tend to do. The pain became so excruciating, he had to go to urgent care. And they ran some tests, and they said, you have stage four pancreatic cancer. You have maybe two months to live. I went to visit that man He wanted to talk to me about a guy at work that he wanted to see come to Jesus. He didn't talk to me about his pain. He didn't talk to me about the dread of dying. He talked to me about this guy at work that he so hoped would come to Christ. Now, <laughs> why was that so important to him? Because Jesus was important to him. He was safe. He knew he was safe. He wasn't worried about his soul. In fact, a family in our church took him in. He, he didn't have, at that time, family. They took him into their home. And they said one morning he had been out of it and he woke up and he said, am I in heaven yet? (laughs) Now he soon was. Do you have the kind of relationship with Jesus that can swallow your pain and your fear, give you hope, and give you something to live for that will never fail? I think that's the most important exhortation I can give you. Be always increasing 
in your love for Jesus. Now let's pray.